Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 105 of the show, and it is a loaded episode for you this week. Uh, We have officially reached the playoffs in the National Football League, so we'll preview all that, get you caught up. College football, we've crowned a national champion, so we'll talk about that. Do standings updates in the NHL, the NBA, of course on the PGA Tour. We do our recap of last weekend's tournament, preview this weekend's tournament, and then an absolutely massive Around the Island segment coming at you this week with tons of information Uh, We will not waste any time at all. Let's go ahead and jump right into the National Football League. This past weekend was week 18, which was the final week of the regular season. We uh, had some exciting games take place. Um, Two games on Saturday, the rest were on Sunday. Of course, no Monday night football because it was the last week of the regular season. Uh, It was pretty cool to see uh, these playoff races kind of unfold live. Um, The AFC was kind of narrowed down between New England, Pittsburgh, and Miami. And, um, you know, once New England lost, it was Miami and Pittsburgh. And, you know, teams hoping other teams are losing so they can get in. And it was just kind of see. Same thing in the NFC, really. Uh, That race came down to uh, Green Bay or Seattle. And, um, Detroit ended up beating Green Bay on Sunday Night Football, which gave the Seahawks, you know, uh, a playoff spot. So it was just cool to see those playoff races kind of unfold live. Um, But the coolest thing of the weekend was in Buffalo uh, on Sunday. was not the early game in the noon window. And the Buffalo Bills, they were at home against New England. It was their first game since the DeMar Hamlin incident a week ago uh, in Cincinnati, right? And, uh, there, you know, there's just some things that um, you cannot make up in sports. It's just kind of poetic and plays out, just kind of unexplainable. And uh, they honored the Bills training staff on the field before the game, deservedly so. Um, they saved Tamar Hamlin's life. And then the game proceeds, opening kickoff. Uh, Bills running back Naheem Hines runs the opening kickoff back 96 yards for a touchdown. Okay, I mean, that's just unbelievable. The Bills had not had a kickoff return touchdown in three years. Okay, and at this one they had a very first opening kickoff of this game. Uh, first game back from the DeMar Hamlin incident. So, uh, again, just some things you can't make up. Naheem Hines actually ran another one back in the second half for 101 yards. All right, so we had two kick return touchdowns in that game. Of course, the Bills won, but... Um, again, just uh, also Tamar Hamlin, how about this? He got uh, discharged from the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, flew over to uh, Buffalo back home, and he is uh, at a hospital in uh, Buffalo receiving um, additional care. He is stable. He's 
doing well and um, just an absolute miracle there uh, for DeMar Hamlin and um, just uh, credit to the Bills training staff again for for saving his life all the first responders and the doctors uh, they did a remarkable job uh, but we'll take a look at the final uh, standings at least for the playoff uh, just the top seven teams in each conference uh, as they sit seed wise in the AFC the Kansas City Chiefs they finished 14-3. and three. They actually tied an NFL record for the most wins in a five-year span with 64, all right, with their win this past week. That's just super impressive. Buffalo Bills are the two seed at 13-3. and three. If the Chiefs and the Bills play each other in the AFC title game, that will have to be at a neutral site uh, field because the Bills beat the Chiefs earlier in the year uh, and finished with one fewer game played. So, Technically, had the Bills won that Bengals game, uh, they would have they would be the number one seed. All right, so that's why they'll be a neutral site game. That would be interesting to see. Three seed in the AFC: Cincinnati Bengals at twelve and four. All right, uh, four seed: Jacksonville Jaguars at nine and eight. They won their fourth ever AFC South division title. Their first since twenty seventeen. And they actually became just the second team ever to reach the playoffs after starting 3-7 and seven through their first 10 games. So quite the turnaround there from Jacksonville. The fifth seed, the Los Angeles Chargers. Sixth seed, Baltimore Ravens. Uh, both of those teams finished 10-7. and seven. And the seventh seed in the AFC's Miami Dolphins at 9-8. and eight. Now I will note the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're the first team out of the playoffs at 9-8. and eight. Another winning season for Mike Tomlin. Uh, Steelers look dead to rights through the first six, seven, eight weeks of the year, and there Mike Tomlin comes and turns it around and finishes with a winning record of nine and eight. All right, does miss the playoffs, but still, I think it was like his sixteenth or eighteenth season in a row that he's done that. So uh, that he's finished without a losing record. So just super impressive there. Over in the NFC, the top overall seeds: the Philadelphia Eagles at fourteen and three. Number two, San Francisco 49ers, 13 and 4. Number three, the Minnesota Vikings at 13 and 4. Number four, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 8 and 9. They uh, they won the AFC South by default. All right, they had a losing record. They won the division with a losing record. And if they were in any other division, they would not be in the playoffs. Um, so there they sit at 8 and 9. Number five, the Dallas Cowboys at 12 and 5. Number six, New York Giants at 9-7-1. And, and then number seven is the Seattle Seahawks at 9-8. and eight. They squeaked in uh, because the Detroit Lions beat the Green Bay Packers on Sunday night football. Had it been the other way around, Green Bay would be in. All right, uh, but Detroit beat them, so Seattle is in. Detroit finishes with a 9-8 and eight record, though. How about that? Um, quick note on the Seahawks. Quarterback Geno Smith, he set the new Seattle Seahawks franchise record for passing yards in a season this year, passing Russell Wilson's previous mark. So uh, how about that, right? Uh, Geno Smith comes in to take over for Russell Wilson after they get rid of him, and uh, all he does is come in and just um, set a new record. But we'll take a look at the actual wild card matchups and preview those for this weekend's upcoming games. We did have an NFL record five first-year head coaches. Now, when I say that, I mean five coaches in the first year with their new teams make the playoffs. It was Mike McDaniel, Brian Dable, Kevin O'Connell, Todd Bowles, 
and Doug Peterson. Okay, now Todd Bowles and Doug Peterson have been uh, head coaches before previously with other teams. Of course, Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl a few years ago with Philly, but um, all five of those guys are in the first year with their new teams. Of course, Mike McDaniel um, with the Dolphins, Brian Dable, the Giants, Kevin O'Connell, the Vikings, those guys are are very first-year head coaches just in general. So pretty impressive stuff there. Some great coaching this year by those guys. Uh, As I mentioned in the standings updates, the top overall seed in the AFC is the Kansas City Chiefs. Top overall seed in the NFC is the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, both of those teams received first-round buys, so we will not see either of those teams playing this weekend. We do have two games on Saturday, January 14th, uh, mid-afternoon, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 3.30 p.m. Central on Fox in the NFC number 7 Seattle travels to San Francisco to play the number two-seeded San Francisco 49ers. Okay, those guys are NFC West division rivals. They played back in week two in San Francisco and week 15 in Seattle, and the 49ers won both of those games to sweep the season series. The 49ers actually went 6-0 in the NFC West this year. Pretty impressive stuff there. Seattle comes in, uh, obviously the underdog there, San Francisco uh, with Brock Purdy as their quarterback. They've done nothing but win. All right, mystery relevant. Last pick in the draft has looked absolutely phenomenal. Uh, they're healthy. They got Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell back to go with uh, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. That offense is rolling. Certainly wouldn't want to try and stop that. And then on the defensive side of the ball, the San Francisco 49ers uh, are one of the best, if not the very best, defense in the league. And so I, I think this game is is probably, uh, you know, one of the one of the more heavily favored games. I think San Francisco is going to win this game. I know Brock Purdy, rookie quarterback in the playoffs, but you know what? Uh, with that supporting cast that he's got, I've talked about this a lot on the last uh, several episodes. It doesn't matter who you have as a quarterback of the 49ers. The amount of skill position players that they have makes it really easy for Brock Purdy to succeed, and uh, I think the 49ers will do exactly that. Give me San Francisco to win that game. The nightcap on Saturday is 8.15 p.m. Eastern, 7.15 p.m. Central on NBC. It's an AFC game. Number five-seeded Los Angeles Chargers travel across the country to play the number four-seeded Jacksonville Jaguars. All right. These two teams met back in week three of the regular season. The game was in Los Angeles at SoFi, and the Jaguars dominated that game 38-10. to Gave us a little bit of belief in the Jaguars, and then they went out and lost their next five games before treading some water and uh, winning their last five games to win the division and get in. So the Jaguars come in on a five-game winning streak. Both of these quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert, neither of them have been to the playoffs before. All right, the Chargers, for whatever reason, decided to play all of their starters in a game that literally meant nothing. All right, they were locked into that five seed, and Staley, Coach Brandon Staley, decided to play all of his starters. Mike Williams, wide receiver, got hurt, uh, as too did defensive end Joey Bosa. So I don't have a status update on either of them as I record this, but if they don't play, that game becomes even more difficult for the Chargers just due to the way that Jacksonville's been playing lately. I mentioned uh, they haven't lost in a month and a half almost, and so uh, they're at home. Of course, the Chargers, like I said, they got to go all the way across the country. Um, I do like the Chargers um, if Williams and Bosa are healthy, but 
you know, even if they play, certainly they're not going to be 100%. The Jaguars' defense really showed out in that uh, second half of the final game this past weekend against the Titans. So, you know, I think home field advantage is certainly going to come into play here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick the Jaguars to win, which just seems kind of outrageous, but uh, I think the Chargers are the more talented team. But again, the health of Bosa and Williams, um, you know, we don't know that. And so uh, I certainly think the Chargers are capable of winning, even without those two players. I wouldn't be shocked if the Chargers won. Um, but I, I think Jacksonville, the way that they're playing, um, certainly would lead me to believe that they're going to contend in this game. They've already beaten the Chargers once. Um, I'd, so give me Jacksonville to win that game. On Sunday, we have three games, all right? The first one gets started early on Sunday in that 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, noon Eastern window. That game's on CBS. It's an AFC matchup. Number seven, Miami Dolphins travel to Buffalo to play the number two-seeded Buffalo Bills, all right? Of course, these guys are AFC East division rivals. They split the season series. Miami won the game at home in Miami in week three. And then they met again in week 15 in snowy Buffalo. We talked about that one, and Buffalo won that one on a last-second field goal. All right, so they split the season series. We don't know. As of this recording, Tua Tagovailoa still has not been cleared for football activities. He's still in concussion protocol. So if Tua doesn't play, I, I don't see there any way that the Dolphins can win this game. Um, they certainly are loaded on offense. Raheem Mostert broke his thumb last week so he won't be available more than likely um but the bills are just a wagon right now they got the um the damar hamlin factor too they're playing for him and um they're at home give me buffalo even if Tua Tagovailoa does play for the dolphins i think that just kind of closes the gap on on what the the final score will be uh but give me the bills to win that one the middle window on Sunday afternoons, 4.30 Eastern, 3.30 Central on Fox. It is in the NFC, number six, New York Giants travel to uh, Minneapolis to take on the number three-seeded Minnesota Vikings, all right? Uh, these two teams played back in week 16, not long ago. That game was in Minnesota as well, so it's a rematch of that. Minnesota, if you recall, won on a walk-off 61-yard field goal as time expired, all right? So the Giants gave the Vikings a dose, gave them all they could handle. I would say uh, this is certainly upset watch for the Vikings. Uh, do I believe that the Giants are going to win? No, all right? I, I do believe that Minnesota is going to win the game, all right? Um, that offense with, with Justin Jefferson, um, Dalvin Cook, you know, Kirk Cousins can play really well. I, I, I like their offense better than the Giants. Um, but again, you know, the Giants took them down to the last second and uh, took a hell of a kick from Greg Joseph to win that game. So my, my official pick is the Vikings. But, you know, again, if we're talking about one of the lower-seeded teams on either conference having a, a legitimate chance to upset a higher-seeded team, this game would certainly be the one that you would circle all right. Um, the nightcap on Sunday, Sunday night football, 8.15 Eastern, 7.15 Central on NBC. It's the numbers, It's in the AFC. Number six, Baltimore Ravens traveling back to Paycor Stadium to play the number three Cincinnati Bengals. 
These guys are AFC North division rivals. All right, Baltimore won the Week 5 matchup in Baltimore, and so they uh, uh, played this past week in Week 18 in Cincinnati. All right, and the Bengals, of course, won that game. All right, so uh, Bengals come into this game having won eight games in a row. All right, I think it's the longest winning streak entering the playoffs or one of the longest winning streaks in recent memory uh, entering the playoffs. Lamar Jackson uh, still has not officially practiced, hasn't played since week 13, all right, and with a knee issue, sprained his knee. There's been no real clear status update on him. Uh, is it possible he plays? Sure. Uh, but the Bengals are at home. They're rolling right now. Joe Burrow uh, certainly in the MVP conversation for the league. And um, Bengals are at home. Um, if you know if Lamar Jackson plays, this game becomes a little more interesting. But give me the Bengals to win this game at home. They're rolling right now. They're de- the defending AFC champions. So give me Cincinnati to beat Baltimore. And then we do have one game on Monday night, the sixteenth. Uh, it's the Monday night football game, eight fifteen Eastern, seven fifteen Central on ESPN. It's my Dallas Cowboys, the number five seeded team in the NFC, traveling to Tampa Bay to take on the number four Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right. These two teams did play each other the opening week of the season in Dallas. The Buccaneers won that one 19 to 3. Now that was the game that Dak Prescott broke his hand. All right. So he didn't play uh, pretty much the fourth quarter of that game. Now, Dallas looked horrible in that game. And um, but since then. Uh, they went up five games without Dak Prescott and uh, won four of them. These two teams have gone in vastly different directions since week one, all right? Uh, Dallas became a top-end NFC team, while the Buccaneers barely got into the playoffs uh, with an 8-9 and nine losing record. The only reason they are in the playoffs is because they play in that putrid division, uh, the NFC South, and somebody had to win that one. So the Buccaneers are not very intimidating. They did not play real well for much of the season. Now they still, of course, have Tom Brady, so you got to factor that in. Um, but and the game's in Tampa, so they have home field advantage there. Um, and Dallas, man, uh, that Week 18 game against Washington, uh, you can throw that out. That was just that was the worst game of football I've ever seen the Dallas Cowboys play. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, Dak looked horrible. Seven games in a row with an interception. Uh, if they play like that on Monday, uh, it's going to be a short playoff stint for the Cowboys. Um, but I do believe that they'll turn things around. Um, Dallas is favored as the higher seed. They are favored in this game. They had a better record in the regular season, so I think they're three-point favorite. They opened as three-point favorites. Um, my official pick is the Dallas Cowboys, but you know what? I don't have any confidence in that. I've never seen a 12 and five team, a 12 win team more scrutinized than the Dallas Cowboys. All right, and that's just straight up facts. All right, I, you know, uh, my confidence level on a scale of one to ten uh, that Dallas wins this game is probably at about a two. All right, and I just I don't have very much confidence. I do think that they're the better team from top to bottom, uh, but. If if they play mediocre football, they're probably going to lose. So they need to they need to play um, better than mediocre to win this game. I think they're capable of doing that. Tampa Bay got the the regular season matchup. Tom Brady is undefeated against the the Dallas Cowboys. He's seventeen and zero in his career against the Cowboys. But I do think 
that streak ends this year uh, in this game. I think the Cowboys go down to Tampa and win. But again, my confidence level is not very high on that, and I would not be shocked if we're talking this time next week and uh, the Buccaneers have eliminated the Cowboys. So uh, we'll see. We got some good games. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of good matchups there out of those that we just talked about. We got some first-year quarterbacks, uh, you know, in the playoffs, and uh, so it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. Um, would not surprise me to see you know, two or three of the lower seeded teams win. I can't tell you who that may, you know, maybe the Chargers, uh, maybe the Giants, Cowboys technically are a lower seed. You know, those would be my three picks for, you know, lower seeds to upset higher seeds. Uh, But again, it is wild card weekend in the NFL. Anything can happen. You know, we're, we're in that, that time of the year where, you know, with the way that the NFL season has gone this year, um, really kind of anything's up for grabs. And so, um, you know, I'll be tuned in all weekend to those uh, football games, and uh, we will check back in next week and recap how these games played out and take a preview look at the divisional round of the playoffs. But we'll move over to college football, and uh, we had a national championship game this past week on Monday night. That game was at SoFi Stadium in Englewood, California. It featured the TCU Horned Frogs against the Georgia Bulldogs. All right, Georgia came into this thing. They were the first uh, team to be unranked in the preseason AP poll to reach the national championship game since Georgia Tech in 1990. And on the other side, Georgia entered as a 13.5-point favorite, which is just outrageous. Uh, they really they lost one game last year in route to a national title, went undefeated this year. They've only lost one game the last two years. They actually uh, tied Alabama's record for the most wins in a two-season span with 28. Uh, so they were heavily favored coming in. They were the SEC champs, and um, really uh, I think everyone uh, figured that TCU didn't stand a chance. Uh, the game itself, man, we uh, we really don't need to spend a whole lot of time on this one. I'm sure you all watched it, or if you didn't, you saw it. If you didn't watch it, the only thing you missed out on was uh, witnessing a crime, basically, a bludgeoning, uh, because uh, the game was close. Uh, at, you know, first quarter, it was 10-7. to Georgia was up. End of the quarter, it was 17-7, and then by halftime, Georgia was up 38-7, to which was the second largest halftime lead in national championship game history. They then proceeded to just demolish the Frogs in the second half. Uh, final score in this thing was 65-7, to with Georgia repeating as national champions. They're only the fifth FBS school to ever win back-to-back national championships uh, and the first to do it since the 2011 and 2012 Alabama teams. All right, That final score of 65-7... to That was the most points ever scored in a national championship game, and it was the largest margin of victory in a bowl game ever, all right? 58 points was the point difference there. It was the largest margin of victory in any bowl game ever, all right? Georgia actually outgained TCU by 401 yards of offense, all right? They had over 500. TCU had barely over 100 and uh, the difference, like I said, was 401 yards. I mean, there was nothing close about this game. Georgia Bulldogs senior quarterback 
Stetson Bennett. He accounted for a college football playoff game record, six touchdowns. He tied Joe Burrow's record from 2019. He was named the offensive MVP. He's actually won the offensive MVP in all four college football games that he played in. Okay, And on the defensive side, the defensive MVP of the game was Javon Bullard, uh, cornerback for Georgia. He had two interceptions, a fumble recovery, uh, just very disruptive and um, was a turnover machine in that game. And uh, really, I mean, this thing, like I said, after the first quarter, it was, I mean, even in that first quarter, I, I mentioned it was 10-7 to 7 at one point, and that's the closest that, uh, that TCU got because it was 17-7 at the end of the first quarter. And from there on out, it was all Georgia, all right? Literally, TCU did not score again after Max Duggan ran in the two-yard touchdown uh, and late in that first quarter. And um, interesting fact about Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett, if you don't know his story, basically he he got on Georgia's roster many years ago as a walk-on. He didn't play, so he transferred out to a, a you know a community college, basically, and, and won the state or national title there um, at junior college and um, ended up coming back to Georgia on scholarship. Um, sat on the bench for a little bit and then became the starter and all he did was win the national title last year win it again this year but he is what we call a super senior all right due to his extra years of eligibility Stetson Bennett he's 25 years old all right which makes him older than five NFL starting quarterbacks who are in the playoffs this year all right so Stetson Bennett is older than Jalen Hurts Justin Herbert Tua Tagovailoa, Trevor Lawrence, and Brock Purdy. All right, all five of those quarterbacks are starting an NFL playoff game. All right, and, um, you know, I, I don't know what the NFL uh, prospect of Stetson Bennett is. Maybe a perennial backup, you know, kind of similar to Colt McCoy for Texas many years ago, just a dominant college player, but uh, never really got going in the NFL. That's probably the outlook for Bennett. I'm sure he'll get drafted with his resume, uh, but realistically, he's already 25 years old, and and um, he doesn't really suit. You know, he's a great, accurate thrower, but it'll be interesting to to see what uh, NFL teams think of him as we get through the combine and the draft process. But uh, nonetheless, um, Georgia, the Bulldogs are the national champions yet again and um, all they do is is reload Kirby Smart there the the coach he went to Georgia it's his alma mater he's won back-to-back natties with them and uh, he has nothing but four and five star recruits coming in uh, next year and uh, they don't even need to use the transfer portal because of all the in-house talent certainly Georgia's going to lose quite a few uh, picks to the NFL again this year just like they did last year but as they showed this year, that doesn't really matter because all they'll do is they'll compete for the SEC title, compete for a playoff spot, and um, man, wouldn't it be nuts if they won three natties in a row? But um, that wraps up the college football season. Very um, exciting football season. Bowl season was was nothing short of spectacular. Many close games, many exciting games, a lot of upsets. And um, that's why we love college football, you know. And the playoffs even gave us some some shockers there with, with TCU beating Michigan and then Ohio State missing that field goal that sent Georgia into this game, all right? So 
Uh, just uh, a wild and wacky college football season is now officially over. Move into the spring games. We, uh, we've talked about some recruiting, you know, along the way and, and the classes that we're going to be seeing. And so, um, you know, at, obviously no more college football to talk about for a while, but um, we will certainly get back into it in the fall whenever that rolls around. But nonetheless, the Georgia Bulldogs are the national champions of college football this year for the second year in a row. Uh, congrats to Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs on a heck of a season. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League and do a standings update here in the NHL. Uh, most teams have played between 40 to 42 games. Uh, one team has played 44, but a lot of the teams currently sit uh, between 40 41 games, which is the halfway point of the NHL's regular season as there are 82 regular season games. So we've reached the halfway point of the NHL's regular season. And, um, you know, it's been some some pretty good hockey. We've seen a couple of uh, surprising teams uh, in both directions, surprisingly good and surprisingly bad. Uh, but we still got a lot of hockey left. We'll just go through uh, the standings update here in the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division. Carolina Hurricanes are up top with 57 points. New Jersey Devils are right behind them with 55 points, and the New York Rangers are in third with 53 points. The Washington Capitals, they have 52 points. They've won seven out of their last 10. Pittsburgh Penguins have 48 points. New York Islanders have 47 points. Philadelphia Flyers, 39 points. And the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, in last in the Metropolitan Division with 26 points. They have lost eight out of their last 10 not going well in Columbus this year. Over in the Atlantic Division, the Boston Bruins, they have 68 points, which paces the NHL. They've won eight out of their last 10, including four in a row. They're 32-4-4, which is just, uh, that is ridiculous. Um, Patrice Bergeron, captain of the Bruins, he recorded his 600th career assist this past week, so certainly building that resume uh, has at least one Stanley Cup to his name as well. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, second in the Atlantic with 57 points, having a really good year. They're 25-9-7, and they're still uh, 11 points back of the Bruins, which just tells you how outrageous the Bruins have been playing. Uh, Mitch Marner, though, for the Maple Leafs, he recorded his 500th career point this past week, becoming the 13th Toronto Maple Leafs player to do so um, with that franchise, right? Um, and ironically enough, he did it just a few days after his linemate, Austin Matthews, uh, accomplished the same plateau of 500 career points. So uh, they did it both in the same week. Tampa Bay Lightning are in third in the Atlantic with 51 points. Buffalo Sabres are uh, in fourth place with 42 points. They've actually won seven out of their last 10, uh, playing some really good hockey. Tage Thompson and Rasmus Dahlin have a lot, uh, uh, have to, have a lot to do with that, really. Um, Buffalo still is up there near the league lead in goals scored. Uh, they have been passed uh, by Boston, uh, but they are second in the NHL in goals scored. Buffalo is, so that's a big reason why. Florida Panthers are in fifth in the Atlantic with 42 uh, points as well. The Detroit Red Wings are sixth with 41 points. Ottawa Senators have 39 points. And last in the Atlantic, the Montreal Canadiens with 35 points. They have only won 
twice in their last 10 games. Over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, my Dallas Stars are up top there with 56 points, still holding strong. They've won seven out of their last 10. Uh, I keep saying this, they're they're a really good team. I think they're, they're going to make some noise in the playoffs this year. Um, we're halfway through the year. They're on pace for 112 points, which uh, would certainly get them uh, in contention for, you know, uh, a top spot there in the Central Division. Uh, Winnipeg Jets are second, though. They're, they have 53 points with a game in hand on Dallas at this moment. Um, they, they, too, have played really well. Uh, they actually have second most wins in the entire Western Conference behind Vegas, so uh, they're, they're winning at, at, a, at a much higher rate than they did last year, and um, they've, they've shown that they can really compete. So Winnipeg is, is certainly a team that is looking to be around at the end of the year. Minnesota Wild are third with 48 points. St. Louis Blues, they are fourth with 45 points. Nashville Predators, they're fifth in the Central Division with 44 points. Uh, but they're on a four-game winning streak. They've won seven out of their last ten. And in a game this past week, their goalie, UC Saros, he recorded 63 saves in one game. They won the game 5-3, to three, which means he actually faced 66 shots and stopped 63 of them. Those 63 saves were the third most saves in a game in NHL history. And to follow that up in his very next start, he recorded a 38-save shutout for a total of 101 saves in a two-game span, which is tied for seventh most saves in a two-game span in NHL history. So a big reason that the the Predators uh, have climbed back up into the mix is because of the play of UC Soros, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Sixth place in the Central Division, the Colorado Avalanche. The defending Stanley Cup champions have slid all the way down to sixth place in the Central with 43 points. All right. Um, they have only won four times in their last uh, 10 games. All right. Um, they got Nathan McKinnon back. Uh, they're relatively healthy. Um, it just it's not going well for Colorado. They did lose some some players this offseason, but man, uh right now they are they are not even uh in contention for a playoff spot. All right. So keep an eye on that. That would be something uh if they missed the playoffs this year after winning the cup last year. But seventh in the Central is the Arizona Coyotes. They got thirty one points. They're on a six game losing streak. Uh, they're they're going to be right there at the bottom towards the end of the year, right? Chicago Blackhawks are the last place team in the Central with 24 points. Um, they've lost seven out of their last 10, but they have won two games in a row. Over in the Pacific Division, the Vegas Golden Knights are up top with 56 points. Los Angeles Kings, uh, they're second with 54 points. Now, they have played the most games in the NHL with 44, all right? So they have 54 points there. Third place in the Pacific Division, the hottest team in the NHL, it's the Seattle Kraken. They have 52 points. They've won six games in a row. And, um, you know, they're they're looking every bit the part of a playoff team halfway through the year. I mean, they're on pace for 104 points, which will absolutely get them in the playoffs. So uh, quite a turnaround from year one to year two there for Seattle. Fourth place in the Pacific, the Calgary Flames with 47 points. All right, uh, they have nine overtime losses, which leads the league. All right, I mean, if you just 
cut those in half, give them four wins in those games, four extra points. Uh, that gets them uh, right up there with Seattle near that three spot. So, um, you know, they, they need to get better luck there in overtime and shootouts, and um, they could probably climb the standings quickly. But, yeah, nine overtime losses for Calgary so far. Fifth place in the Pacific, the Edmonton Oilers, right? They got 45 points currently on the outside of the playoffs looking in. All right. Uh, Connor McDavid, though, he became the fourth player in NHL history with 500 career assists at age 25 or younger. I mean, he just keeps getting better and better. Uh, Certainly the best player in the NHL, and it's not close. And um, I do believe by the end of the year, uh, you know, I, I certainly think Vegas will be up there. Seattle's proving that they're going to be around. Um, I, you know, Los Angeles, do you really have much confidence? They're a young team. You think they can continue that? I mean, maybe, you know, Calgary. It's going to be real competitive in this Pacific Division, I think, is, is what I'm saying. And um, Edmonton, I, yeah, I'd i be shocked if Edmonton missed the playoffs with that roster that they have. But it's been done before. Um, I just... You know, they're going to have to, you know, play some really good hockey. They're 11 points back of Vegas, 9 points back of L.A., and uh, 7 points back of Seattle as it sits right now, right? And they've they've played 42 games, so they're technically past their halfway point of their season. Vancouver Canucks are 6th in the Pacific with 37 points. San Jose Sharks are 7th with 34 points. And the Anaheim Ducks are in last in the Pacific with 28 points. All right, so they, uh, they're they not going anywhere. But, again, cross the halfway point, right at the halfway point of the NHL season. A lot of hockey left, and we will certainly keep you up to date as we move along through the second half of the season. But we'll move over to the NBA, do a standings update here uh, as well. We are... About 40 to 41 games into the NBA's regular season. Most teams have played around that many games. So uh, also the halfway point of the NBA's regular season as they, too, play 82 regular season games. So, again, halfway point, a lot of basketball left to be played. I don't really have much news to bring you via the standings updates uh, in the NBA, but we can certainly go through the standings. As they currently sit in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics are up top at 29-12. and 12. Uh, They've won seven out of their last ten. Jason Tatum certainly uh, is uh, figuring to be a finalist for the NBA's MVP award at the end of the year. Uh, number two in the East, the Brooklyn Nets. They're 27-13. and 13. They've just been on a heater. Uh, they've won nine out of their last ten, playing the best basketball of the season. Climbed all the way up to the two spot. Uh, but Kevin Durant sprained his knee uh, this couple days ago. He's going to be reevaluated in two weeks, so he's at least out a couple of weeks, which uh, is not ideal considering uh, it does help to have your best player in the lineup. Brooklyn's certainly good enough to continue to play well uh, without Durant, but um, he certainly is uh, their best player. Third in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks at 26-14. and 14. Fourth is the Philadelphia 76ers at 25-15. and 15. They've won seven out of their last ten. Cleveland Cavaliers fifth, 26-16. and 16. And then um, Indiana Pacers have crawled all the way up to sixth in the east uh, at 23-18. and 18. They've won eight out of their last ten, so they're playing some really good basketball. New York Knicks are seventh at 22-19. and 19. Miami Heat are eighth at 22-20. and 20. 
Atlanta Hawks, ninth at 19 and 21. Chicago Bulls are 10th at 19 and 22. 11th place in the East, the Toronto Raptors at 18 and 23. Washington Wizards are 12th at 17 and 24. They've lost a few games in a row. And the Orlando Magic are at 16 and 26. Uh, Charlotte Hornets are 14th in the East at 11 and 31. And then the Detroit Pistons are last in the Eastern Conference at 11 and 33. They've played 44 games, which is the most in the NBA. Uh, they've the Pistons and the Hornets have both uh, lost seven out of their last ten. All right, so those two will certainly be in the uh, lottery sweepstakes there at the end of the year. Over in the Western Conference, the Denver Nuggets are up top at 27 and 13. Uh, they've won eight out of their last ten and have won three in a row. Memphis Grizzlies are also 27 and 13, tied. Uh, with with Denver record-wise. They, too, have won eight out of their last ten, but they have a seven-game winning streak. They are the hottest team in the NBA right now. Uh, so Memphis looking very, very dangerous. Third in the West is the New Orleans Pelicans at 25-16. and 16. My Dallas Mavericks are fourth uh, in the West with a record of 23-19. and 19. They have won seven out of their last ten, but they have lost two in a row. All right, uh, so they need to turn it around been a very streaky team this year and a little more consistency in the win column would be nice fifth place in the western conference the sacramento kings at 21 and 18 sixth is the los angeles clippers at 22 and 21 uh, they've only won three times in their last 10 one of which was against my mavericks the other night in which Kawhi leonard had a season high 33 points of course go figure it was against the mavericks but uh if he can if he can play like he's capable of, that team uh, will probably climb up even further by the end of the year. The Phoenix Suns, still very surprising. Uh, they're seventh in the West at 21-21. and 21. They're, They only have two wins in their last 10 games. They have lost eight out of their last 10, which is uh, very surprising considering where they were in the first two months of the year. I mean, they were atop the, the Western Conference for the first two months, and then they decided to uh, completely fall apart. Uh, eighth in the Western Conference, the Golden State Warriors. They're 20-21. and 21. Uh, They've lost three games in a row, but they did get Steph Curry back from injury the other night, so he, uh, he should be ready to go here and hopefully get that Warriors team um, back in the mix. Uh, I mean, they're still currently in a, a play-in tournament spot, but their home road split, they still have only three wins on the road this year. They're 3-16 and 16 on the road. Um, that has to change over the second half of the year if, if they want to uh, potentially climb up and not be a, a bubble team. Ninth in the West, the Minnesota Timberwolves, 20-21. and 21. They have won four in a row, though. Utah Jazz are 10th at 21-23. and 23. Uh, Portland Trailblazers are 11th at 19 and 21. They uh, are on a four-game losing streak. They've also lost eight out of their last 10. Los Angeles Lakers, uh, they're stuck in mud, pretty much stuck in neutral. They're 19 and 22. They haven't really slid down any further, and they haven't really climbed up any higher. That's kind of where they've been all year. Uh, 13th in the West, Oklahoma City Thunder, 18 and 23. 14th in the Western Conference, San Antonio Spurs at 13 and 28. Uh, they've uh, 
only won three times in their last 10 games. And then the Houston Rockets are dead last in the Western Conference at 10 and 30. Those 10 wins are the fewest in the entire NBA. They have lost nine out of their last 10, including seven in a row. So um, it's looking like uh, the worst teams of the year. Uh, You can throw Houston, Detroit, Charlotte, and San Antonio into the mix for the the likeliest teams to uh, win the draft lottery come summertime. But again, we're halfway through the NBA's regular season, just like the NHL. A lot of basketball left to be played, and uh, we'll certainly keep you up to date as we move along. But we'll move over to the PGA Tour and uh, recap this past weekend's tournament, which uh, was the first tournament in several weeks due to the uh, holiday break. It was the Century Tournament of Champions, played at the Plantation Course in Cap, uh, at Kapalua, which is in Maui, Hawaii. It's a par 73. Distance was 7,596 yards. So a uh, beautiful oceanside course. All right, This was the 25th year that uh, the Century Tournament of Champions was played here. Uh some amazing ocean views, all right, and uh, this course itself, what's known mainly for its elevation change, massive elevation change from the lowest point on the course to the highest point on the course is an elevation change of almost 500 feet. I think it's like 496 feet, all right. Um, main issue at the plantation course is the wind, all right. Being on the ocean, it's very breezy, all right. If the wind really gets going, scoring uh, is not as, as easy as it uh, is if it is non-existent. Uh, last year, uh, we saw a record low score of 34 under par, and that was just due to the, the non-existent wind. Um, but this course, I mentioned par 73. It's the only par 73 on the PGA Tour, so it sets up really nicely for scoring. Uh, the field in this thing was just awesome. It was a field of 39 players. We had 17 out of the top 20 in the official World Golf rankings out there, including nine of the top 10 uh, that were currently in the FedEx Cup standings heading into this week. Uh, I also talked about how this uh, event was the first of 17 events on the PGA Tour that uh, are elevated purse events this year, meaning more winnings. Of course, the PGA Tour did that to try and keep up with uh, the Live Golf Tour. That seems to be paying out. Uh, just millions and millions of dollars, all right? So the PGA stepped up their game and, and, uh, you know, expanded the purses for uh, 17 total tournaments. This would be one of them. And this tournament's usually uh, pretty close, all right? The previous two tournaments to last year, of course, last year mentioned that 34-under was set by Cameron Smith. He won uh, by one shot over John Rahm. And uh, prior to that, The previous two century tournament of champions had gone into a playoff hole. So uh, we, you know, have statistically, historically seen some really close golf. Um, There's no cut tournament, so all 39 players that started, uh, 38 of them finished uh, because Xander Schauffele actually withdrew from this thing in the second round due to a back injury. And then also in that second round, we saw kind of a weird, weird thing. Two golf balls ended up colliding with each other in a bunker, right? The balls belonged to Colin Morikawa and Tony Finau. Both of those shots ended up in a bunker on the right-hand side of the fairway, and they landed in the exact same spot, all right? One ball rolled into another, and uh, they were sitting right next to each other. You could see in the sand clearly where the first ball was, and uh, so that was kind of something you don't see all the time. Uh, but this this tournament, man, um, 
we didn't hit that record low number of 34 under par. The wind was a tad bit of a factor at times. Um, but John Rahm was your winner of this thing with a score of 27 under par. All right, he actually completed the largest 54-hole comeback at the Century Tournament of Champions since 1978. All right, John Rahm trailed by seven shots at the start of his round on Sunday. All right, and he ended up shooting a 10-under round of 63 on Sunday to win. All right, he he played really well. He shot uh, opening round nine under 64, second round uh, only a two under 71, third round was a six under 67, and then that fourth round, final round, 10 under 63. Just very impressive. He had a two-shot victory over Colin Morikawa, who was at 25 under par. Now, Morikawa was leading this thing basically from start to finish. All right, he opened with a 64, um, which is 9-under. Second round was 7-under, 66. Third round was uh, 8-under, 65. And then his final round was only a 1-under round of 72. Morikawa actually had a six-shot lead uh, over second place coming into the final round. So you're thinking, all right, it's going to be super comfortable for him. All he's got to do is go out there and, you know, shoot uh, two or three under, and this thing is pretty much wrapped up. Uh, but that's that's what he'd been doing the first three rounds was was shooting, you know, at least six, seven, eight under par, uh, and that just uh, that didn't happen on Sunday, and that allowed John Rahm to um, get that victory after his ten under round of sixty three. Uh, Two way tie for third place: Tom Hoagie and Max Homa, both at twenty three under par. Both played pretty well. Um, you know, Hoagie saved his best round for last. He shot a 9-under 64 to move up the leaderboard, and actually, with that 9-under, he made himself an extra $660,000 in winnings by moving up as far as he did from where he was. So, pretty good round of golf there. Almost, uh, it, it won him almost a million bucks just by doing that. Um, Max Homa, he uh, he played his best round on Saturday. He shot a 10-under round of 63 as well on Saturday to kind of get himself up there. Two-way tie for fifth between Tom Kim and J.J. Spawn. Uh, both of those guys were at 22-under par. Then we had a four-way tie for seventh at 21-under par. That featured uh, Tony Finau, K.H. Lee, Scotty Scheffler, and Matt Fitzpatrick. All right, the only other players that were at 20 or uh, 20 under par or better were uh, Will Zalatoris and Luke List. Those guys finished both at uh, 20 under par. Uh, but that brings us to this weekend's tournament, which is the Sony Open in Hawaii. All right, this is at the YLA Country Club. All right, that is a par 70. Distance is 7,044 yards. So it's about 500 yards shorter than the course we just saw, all right? It is one of the PGA Tour's longest tenured uh, host venues, all right? Pretty narrow course we got here. Uh, The fairways are lined with trees, so we'll have a lot of trees and a total of 83 bunkers between the 18 holes, which is um, quite a bit. So it's going to be difficult to navigate. You know, we're, we're still in Hawaii so it's still going to be uh, Oceanside, still going to be breezy. You know, the trees may cut out on some of that, but 
Um, again, if it's a tight fairway with a lot of trees, that, that leaves your margin for error very slim. And then, of course, if you don't hit a tree, you're likely to end up in a bunker with there being uh, 83 of them. The field for this thing is really good. Um, I say really good. It's not as good as last week, but um, the top-ranked player in the field is just uh, Jordan Spieth, 14th-ranked golfer in the world. We have uh, many of the top golfers in the in the 37 spots of the official world golf rankings. I think there's about 10 golfers in the official world golf rankings that are inside the top 37. Jordan Spieth, Tom Kim, uh, Billy Horschel, Sung J.M., last year's winner, Hideki Matsuyama, Brian Harmon, Keegan Bradley, Tom Hoagie, Russell Henley, Corey Connors, and Adam Scott. Those are the top players in the field per the official world golf rankings. We also have... um, six of the top eight golfers in the current FedEx Cup standings, okay? And uh, we do have 19 of the 39 golfers who played last week at the Century Tournament of Champions making their way over to Island Hop here uh, for the Sony Open at YLA. And, um, you know, it's 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 going to be a, a pretty good tournament, you know. I just... Um, this tournament again is is generally fairly close. All right, um, since the Century Tournament of Champions headed over to Hawaii in 1999, that's last weekend's tournament. 17 out of the 24 Sony Open winners have played at Kapalua the week before. All right, that's a pretty damn good percentage. All right, so it's it's likely that uh, based on the historical. Um, Things that we've seen over the last 24 Sony Open, 17 of them have been won by uh, players that played the week prior uh, at Kapalua, and 19 golfers that played last week make their way over this week. So uh, if you're a betting man, you would say that uh, one of those 19 guys that played last week will probably win this thing. But either way, it's going to be some competitive golf. Two of the last three Sony Open tournaments and four out of the last seven have gone into playoffs, all right? So, um, you know, there's only been six golfers ever to have won both Hawaii Tour events, meaning the Century Tournament of Champions and the Sony Open at Hawaii, all right? So, going to be some good competitive golf. We do have some, some decent named players out there. Not quite the field we saw last week, but it's still some really good golf. It's still uh, golf in Hawaii, some beautiful weather, beautiful course, and it uh, should be certainly uh, worth the watch with uh, with how close this tournament usually is. So uh, it's a par 70, right? So it's three shots less than what we saw last week and also 500 yards shorter, all right? So it's, it's going to be it's gonna be an interesting watch. I did, I did watch a little bit of the Century Tournament of Champions. I'll probably tune into a little bit of the Sony Open here. Um, just simply because it's wild card weekend in the NFL and uh, the NFL rules. So, but I, I probably will tune in a little bit to this. But either way, we'll check back in next week and see how the Sony Open at Hawaii uh, played out. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island, and that's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Absolutely loaded Around the Island segment this week. We'll have a ton of information coming at you. We'll start off in the National Football League. We've had a couple of head coaches get fired since the end of the regular season just a few days ago. The first to get announced was the Houston Texans. They fired head coach Lovey Smith after just one season. And to make 
this even worse, uh, that firing was announced just several hours after the Houston Texans won the final game of their regular season against the Indianapolis Colts. And they had come from behind fashion. They had converted a fourth and 20 very late in the game, scored a touchdown, went for two points to go ahead by a point. And um, that win actually cost Houston the first overall pick. If they simply lose that game, they own the first overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft. But they won it, and that now means that the Chicago Bears uh, have the top overall pick uh, because of that tie on Houston's record. All right, Both teams only had three wins, but the Bears had 14 losses. Texans only had 13, so the Bears get the first overall pick. So maybe that's why Houston fired them. You know, they won the last game and cost them the first overall pick. So I don't know. But, um, you know, Lovey Smith went one year, right? He signed a multi-year contract. Those 313-1. I'm not sure what Houston really expected from, from Lovey Smith year one. He was really doomed from the start in this thing. He had no quarterback, no offensive line. His best offensive player uh, wide receiver Brandon Cooks, very disgruntled with the organization, demanded a trade several times during the year, and he's got a defense that uh, is very young and inexperienced and doesn't have any elite players on it. And then they just happened to fall into a fourth-round rookie running back who pretty much led their team, uh, led their team in rushing, and and was one of one of the better rookie running backs this year in Damian Pierce. So um, without him, I mean, it could have been even worse, really. So. Not really sure what the Texans, uh, you know, brass thought Houston was going to realistically do in that AFC that's super competitive. But, I mean, um, yeah, 313 and 1 is bad, but it's, you know, it's better than uh, 0 and 17, right? So, I mean, I, they didn't give them a whole lot to work with. So, this is actually the second year in a row that Houston's fired. Um, a first-year head coach. They fired David Culley last January after he only spent one year with the team. So there's been a lot of turnover. They haven't had draft picks in recent years because they traded them all. They're starting to finally accrue those back up. They have 11 draft picks in this upcoming NFL draft. So whoever does take the job has their work cut out for them, but does get the benefit of, of essentially making almost two picks per round on average unless they trade. I'm sure they'll be very active in free agency as well. They have a lot of cap space to do so, but um, just what a mess there in Houston. The other head coach to get canned this week was the Arizona uh, Cardinals head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. All right, this came uh, a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Ten months ago, uh, the Cardinals and Kingsbury agreed to a, a contract extension through 2027. All right, he had, you know, Kingsbury won 12 or 13 games last year with Arizona, took them to the playoffs. Yes, they lost, uh, but... They still were in the playoffs. Um, Kingsbury, he went 4-13 and this year after that playoff season last year, so that's certainly not what you want to see. Didn't have DeAndre Hopkins for six games, um, so that you know had some health issues with James Conner, and so he never really had a complete full roster at any point. Um, his record over the few seasons in Arizona was 28-37-1, so again, not great by the numbers. You know, almost half of those wins came last year, but you know, King, Kingsbury handpicked Kyler Murray when they already had Josh Rosen. Uh, now, we know what failed experiment that was with Rosen, but, um, you know, Murray was Kingsbury's guy, you know, so I don't I don't know. That's a very appealing job. Arizona certainly has the players on both sides of the ball to be a competitive team. They just have to 
put it together, right? So um, in addition to Cliff Kingsbury getting fired, uh, Cardinals general manager Steve Kime, he is also out. Uh, he stepped down. He cited uh, health reasons, but I mean, let's be honest, you know, I mean, this is, this team is, you know, was really bad this year and um, he just extended the head coach. And so I, you know, it was kind of a mess uh, a little bit this year. And so I, I can understand why he'd want to be out. Maybe it was a mutual parting of ways, but it was reported that he resigned, stepped down. So now the Cardinals need a general manager and a new head coach. So that, uh, keep an eye on that. And I would be willing to bet that by the time we talk on next week's episode, that Los Angeles Rams head coach Sean McVay uh, will not be the head coach of the Rams. There's reports that he is considering leaving uh, the Rams organization, stepping down as head coach. So that is something to keep an eye on as well. All right. Uh, but the other piece of NFL news, we got a couple. Uh, the first one, uh, the NFL announced the 2023 finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I will go ahead and read those off. It's Jared Allen, Willie Anderson, Rondé Barber, Dwight Freeney, Devin Hester, Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, Albert Lewis, Darrell Revis, Joe Thomas, Zach Thomas, Demarcus Ware, Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis, and Darren Woodson. Now, normally these uh, Hall of Fame finalists are guys that, you know, I didn't see play really at all, or I was super young when they played, but a majority of these uh, nominees this year, I personally recall watching uh, watching them in the NFL, which is pretty cool. It's first class I can say that, that I actually watched a majority of these guys uh, in person. So that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, those finalists will be narrowed down to the actual selections, which will be announced on February 9th, which is three days before this year's Super Bowl. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, the final piece of NFL news deals with a contract extension. The Baltimore Ravens have agreed to a five-year, $100 million contract extension with all-pro linebacker Roquan Smith. If you recall, the Ravens acquired Roquan Smith at the trade deadline this year, and uh, he's fit really nicely into that Ravens defense alongside uh, Patrick Queen, another f- first-round linebacker from a couple years ago. So uh, the deal is $45 million guaranteed and uh, makes uh, Smith the first off-the-ball linebacker to obtain at least $20 million per season. So uh, huge money there for Roquan Smith, uh, but he is certainly one of the best linebackers in the game, and, and he is getting paid as such. Uh, but we'll move over to the National Hockey League. The preliminary All-Star selections have been announced, all right? And the way the All-Star game does in the NHL is – each division, there's four of them, two in each conference, right? Um, they name one person from each team, right? Because in the NHL, every team has to be represented in the All-Star game. So they named each division, uh, they named uh, one player from each team to be on that division's All-Star team. Of course, the NHL does the three-on-three format where the divisions, uh, each division forms its own team and they compete uh, in the All-Star game. So it's it's a pretty unique format. I, I like it. I've been a fan of that here last several years. Uh, but I'll just go through who got announced as the uh, NHL All-Stars right now. For the Eastern Conference, the Atlantic Division, Boston Bruins goaltender Linus Olmark, Buffalo Sabres forward Tage Thompson, Detroit Red Wings forward Dylan Larkin, 
Florida Panthers forward Matthew Kachuk, Montreal Canadiens forward Nick Suzuki, Ottawa Senators forward Brady Kachuk, so the brothers get to play together, Tampa Bay Lightning forward Nikita Kucherov, and Toronto Maple Leafs forward Mitchell Marner. Over in the Metropolitan Division, Carolina Hurricanes forward Andrei Svechnikov, Columbus Blue Jackets forward Johnny Goudreau, New Jersey Devils forward Jack Hughes, New York Islanders forward Brock Nelson, New York Rangers goaltender Igor Shesterkin, Philadelphia Flyers forward Kevin Hayes, Pittsburgh Penguins forward Sidney Crosby, and Washington Capitals forward Alexander Ovechkin. Over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, Arizona Coyotes forward Clayton Keller, Chicago Blackhawks defenseman Seth Jones, Colorado Avalanche defenseman Kale McCarr, Dallas Stars forward Jason Robertson, Minnesota Wild forward Kirill Kaprizov, Nashville Predators goaltender UC Saros, St. Louis Blues forward Vladimir Tarasenko, and Winnipeg Jets defenseman Josh Morrissey. Over in the Pacific Division, Anaheim Ducks forward Troy Terry, Calgary Flames forward Nazem Kadri, Edmonton Oilers forward Connor McDavid, Los Angeles Kings forward Kevin Fiala, San Jose Sharks defenseman Eric Carlson, Seattle Kraken forward Matty Beneers, who is also a rookie, uh, Vancouver Canucks forward Elias Pettersson, and Vegas Golden Knights goaltender Logan Thompson, who was also classified as a rookie. Now, those are just the preliminary rosters that were announced. All right, there's one player from each team uh, represented as it sits right now. The fan vote, NHL fan vote, will determine the remaining players on each of the rosters. All right, so we'll have duplicates of some. You'll notice a lot of big-name players didn't get mentioned. Uh, you know, Nathan McKinnon, Austin Matthews, uh, Steven Stamkos, you know, guys like that that are very prominent uh, players in the NHL did not get their name called in this preliminary set, but I'm sure that some of them will get announced uh, via the NHL fan vote, uh, but we will have to see on that. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball. We have quite a bit to get into uh, this week here in the MLB. We do have one trade to report from this past week, and it was a pretty big trade. Um, not huge, but the impact could certainly be uh, rather substantial. The Philadelphia Phillies have acquired closer Gregory Soto uh, and infielder Cody Clements, who's the son of Roger Clemens. Uh, they were acquired from the Detroit Tigers in exchange for Nick Maton, uh, Matt Veerling and Donnie Sands. All right, so it's more of a young player prospect type get for the Tigers as they continue to uh, rebuild that organization. Uh, but for the Phillies, they get All Star closer Greg Soto. All right, uh, he has made the All Star game the last couple of years. He throws 100 miles an hour, and he just adds to the back end of that bullpen. I believe the Phillies have already signed uh, Craig Kimbrell. All right, so uh, it's just you know, one of those things where uh, the, the Phillies are in a real tough division with the Mets and all they've done this offseason and the Atlanta Braves going to be very good for, the, you know, the next decade plus with all those great contracts they have, all their core players signed. And, um, you know, Philly, if they want to compete, they need to be able to close out games. And uh, Gregory Soto certainly is, is more than capable of doing that. So that's a that's a pretty dang good trade for the Phillies there. Just a few uh, minor free agent signings. 
to report. Seattle Mariners, they signed outfielder A.J. Pollock, one year, $7 million. Toronto Blue Jays, they signed uh, utility infielder Brandon Belt to a one-year contract. All right, he uh, can play anywhere in the infield. He's uh, won two World Series with the San Francisco Giants and whatnot, so he's he's a good utility player, versatile. Miami Marlins, they signed starting pitcher Johnny Cueto. All uh, right, so he's he had a he was hurt last year, had a pretty decent uh, last half of the year. Um, he'll fill in that rotation nicely. And then uh, we get to the most interesting man of Major League Baseball thus far in the offseason. That is none other than one Carlos Correa. Okay, we've talked about over the last, geez, three or four episodes now, his his free agency that has just been um, almost worth a Netflix documentary, all right? Uh, he originally, when free agency opened, he agreed to a 13-year, $350 million contract with the San Francisco Giants. Physical came up. They had some concerns about what the results were of that physical, and so they uh, voided the contract. He then gets scooped up by the New York Mets on a 12-year, $315 million contract, and shockingly enough, they too had issues with what was on his physical, all right? Uh, they were trying to work things out. Over this past week, it was reported that the Mets were growing uh, ever more frustrated with the Carlos Correa negotiations, still wanting uh, more money than they were willing to give, given his whatever injury keeps popping up on these physicals. Um, the, the two sides were in communication, uh, and if there was a deal to be done, it was almost certain that it was going to be nowhere near that 12 years, $315 million that they originally agreed upon. Well, while the Mets were dragging their feet in this contract negotiation, uh, the other day it was reported that the Minnesota Twins have entered the chat and were having, quote, accelerated conversations with Carlos Correa. Now, I will remind you that Correa did play for the Minnesota Twins this last year on a one-year contract, all right? So they're very familiar with him and uh, what his physical said just coming off of last season. Um, and then within about 12 hours of those initial reports coming out, uh, about the Twins entering the chat, uh, it was reported that the Minnesota Twins and Carlos Correa have agreed on a six-year, $200 million contract uh, with a vesting option that can max out at $270 million. Now, here's the kicker. That deal is pending a physical, all right, which is the ultimate asterisk, right, for, for Carlos Correa. He apparently failed his physical in San Francisco, he failed his physical with the Mets, or maybe not failed, but there was a red flag on it with the Giants. Mets thought, oh, we're good. They look at it. Oh, yep, never mind. There's a red flag there. So now the Minnesota Twins swoop in uh, and give him a deal that's, you know, roughly half of, of what um, he was going to make, six years instead of 12 or 13. Now the $200 million is certainly a lot of money. Uh, with the max value of 270, right? So that's that's a ton of money to be shelling out for a guy who has had basically two teams void a contract due to an issue that's popped up on the physical. Now, what that issue is, whether it's a knee, uh, an ankle, a foot, I, I'm not real sure. I think it is lower body of some sort, but um, either way, I, we are watching a full blown circus uh, in action here in free agency, and it would not surprise me one bit. If we, uh, we, we do this podcast next week and we're talking about another team 
signing Carlos Correa because the Twins had an issue with his physical. I mean, it's it's like like I said, it is documentary series worthy at this point. But um, stay tuned for the drama on that. I think it'll be more surprising if the Mets uh, find nothing wrong with his physical uh, and and honor the contract that they just agreed to. So I think that would be more uh, shocking than anything else. But uh, some news out of Boston, the Red Sox second baseman Trevor Story, he uh, just underwent elbow surgery, so he's expected to miss some time. It's not clear on how much time he'll miss, but uh, you got to think that it's going to carry up close to the regular season, if not into the regular season. Uh, elbows are fairly important for uh, baseball players, so uh, we'll see on that. Uh, but some other baseball news, we are quickly approaching spring training. Spring training gets started a little earlier this year, and that is simply because for the month of March, we have the World Baseball Classic, all right? It's, uh, we're, um, got a lot of interest from MLB players who are committed to playing for their countries uh, in this World Baseball Classic. It's like a mini version of, of the Olympics, so to speak, right? Different countries play each other uh, in this round-robin tournament, and, you know, it kind of advance on uh, World Cup, if you will, uh, I guess, since that's more relevant. But, uh, the World Baseball Classic is going to be during the month of March. Uh, we'll go over the rosters for the major teams uh, as it gets a little closer. Team USA is looking very good, probably a lot better than I thought they would, uh, given the talent. Uh, majority of the talent in Major League Baseball is, you know, from um, uh, Central and, and South America and the Caribbean. So, uh, but uh, Team USA does have a pretty good roster. Uh, this past week, though. Major League Baseball announced the four host sites for the World Baseball Classic. We got two of them here stateside and two of them in Asia. The two that are here stateside, uh, the first one is Chase Field in Phoenix, Arizona. That's home of the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's a nice nice venue, just hosted a college football bowl game. Uh, and then Lone Depot Park in Miami, Florida, which is home of, of course, the Miami Marlins. So those are the two United States ballparks that'll be the host. And then over in Asia, the Tokyo Dome in Tokyo, Japan is the third host. The fourth one is the Intercontinental Baseball Stadium in Taichung, Taiwan. All right, so we got one in Arizona, one in Florida, one in Japan, and one in Taiwan. All right, so it's pretty, pretty diverse group of, um, you know, stadiums there. And, you know, the, I'm sure the round robin games for uh, the North American, Central American, South American teams will take place at those parks in the United States, and then the round-robin games for the uh, Asian countries will probably take place over there in the, between Japan and Taiwan. So, um, you know, that's going to be really exciting. I'm looking forward to the World Baseball Classic, um, especially with how good the U.S. is. Again, you know, uh, we'll go over the rosters the closer we get, but... Uh, yeah, we haven't seen the World Baseball Classic in several years, and so it's going to be cool to watch that, especially with the amount of great young talent we have in Major League Baseball these days. It's just insane. Uh, that is going to be a barn burner and quite the appetizer for the MLB's regular season, which uh, follows the World Baseball Classic almost immediately following the World Baseball Classic. So, uh, But that is going to wrap up the 105th episode of the Sports Island Podcast. We have a tremendous weekend of sports on tap, all right? Of course, uh, it's wild card weekend in the NFL. We have six uh, NFL playoff games that we just previewed uh, earlier in the, in the episode, so uh, I will be tuning in to all of those 
Um, I know a lot of you probably will be as well. So we'll have all those to break down and go through next week. Uh, PGA Tour Golf, they're in Hawaii. And uh, another great tournament on tap there. And, of course, uh, always uh, some entertainment in the NHL and the NBA as well uh, with their regular seasons halfway done. So a lot of stuff to watch this weekend. It's a big weekend in football with the playoffs starting, and we will be sure to uh, tune in next week and get you caught up on how Wild Card Weekend went down. But uh, until then, stay safe and be well. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.